Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. Last week, we started off a brand new series called Sunday is Not Enough. We're talking about how Jesus was asking us for so much more than just a Sunday-only faith, right? It's meant to be all-encompassing, to change our behavior, not just like to be good little boys and girls in class and to change our behavior, but to go a little deeper than that and change our hearts, right? To be truly have a faith that allows him to change us from the inside out. And we talked about how God has called our church specifically to be a vibrant, passionate, selfless church, to be a vibrant, passionate, selfless people and how we can see so much of that reflected in the Sermon on the Mount we've been reading through as a Bible plan together. By the way, that's been so much fun to to read that through together. If you want to still get involved, we still have a week or so left of the Sermon on the Mount Bible plan. Go to effie.church slash Bible plan. I'd love to have you in on that with us. It's it's awesome getting to read all your comments and, and everything that you're learning together and encourage each other with that. But everything that Jesus taught throughout his ministry can be felt in that vibrant, passionate, selfless. We can see the early disciples and the early church striving to reflect the character of Jesus from what they knew of his teachings. Acts is a book of the Bible that comes right from right after the four accounts of the life of Jesus, which we call the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels. They are each sharing personal, firsthand accounts of the life of Jesus as he walked the earth, his ministry, how he interacted with people. And the very next book in the New Testament is called Acts. It's actually, its full name is Acts of the Apostles. And it talks about how the disciples of Jesus were called to start the church, that Jesus himself invented and take it to the ends of the earth, the Acts of the Apostles. Throughout this series, we're going to read in the book of Acts, we're going to study how the early church behaved, how they interacted with Jesus, how their relationship with Jesus changed from an actual living, breathing flesh person in front of them to a spirit and how they interacted with all of that. So today we're going to read in Acts chapter 10 just how the early church was, how how the apostles of Jesus maintained that vibrancy through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, what I mean by vibrant is lots of different things. I've defined it over the years as fun as dynamic, right, as as single-minded. The early church burned bright, like like a brand new Christian, right? They they burned bright, and it was attractive, not repulsive, not something that made you want to run far away. It was beautiful. New Christians always remind me of this the best, right? New Christians that, that just receive Jesus for the first time. They're getting to know all of it for the first time. They they radiate Jesus. They're experiencing that love for the first time, and it's all over their face. It's all they can talk about, and it's everything that they are. Have you been around a a brand new Christian lately? It's so much fun. It's actually uh, one of the reasons why seeing new disciples made by Jesus, it's, it's addicting because they remind you all over again of how beautiful it actually is. I think somewhere along the line, we 
we accept it as normal or something, not the miraculous that it is. We, we, it gets dull. It's, Christians can sometimes be anti-fun, <laughs> right? Judgmental, pulled in, in different directions. We get watered down or tasteless over time. We're not vibrant anymore, but we're called to be a vibrant people. We do that by staying plugged in to the Holy Spirit. And we're going to read a story from Acts today that I think demonstrates just how vibrant the early church stayed. They were able to remain single-minded, steadfast, and flexible enough to follow the Holy Spirit and what he is asking of them. So let me show you what I mean. Acts 10, verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 1 is where we're going to start. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius who was a captain of the Italian regiment. It's important to remember that he was a Roman soldier, okay? But he was a devout, God-fearing man, verse 2 says, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said, Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius's messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. The gist here, there's a lot going on, I know, but the gist here is that Cornelius was a Gentile. It's an important detail. You don't want to miss it. He was more than a Gentile. He was a Roman officer. Okay, to the Jews, he might as well be Hitler. He was just the worst of the worst that you can think of today, right? That's how most Jews saw Romans. He was the enemy. He was the persecutor. He was the one that, that was basically making them slaves. They saw Romans as the enslavers. They were not to be associated with, okay? Because Jews live their lives by being clean, and any amount of unclean in their lives makes them unclean. And there was clean and unclean and not really much in between. This is how the Jews live their lives. So many things could make you unclean in their world. And being unclean cut you off from your people, from, from your God, from your home, from your friends, everything. There was a lot of motivation to stay clean, okay? And so we have Cornelius, an unclean man from the Jew standards, a God-fearing man, a good man, as we can see from the word, told to summon a man named Peter. This is after Jesus had ascended. Remember, we are in the book of Acts. I'm just trying to give you some context here so you understand what's going on. This is after the Holy Spirit has fallen on the believers, on on the followers in the upper room in the day of Pentecost. Peter is a man filled with the Holy Spirit. He followed Jesus throughout his ministry, but now he's on his own and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's passionate about Jesus. He's passionate about the followers of Jesus, the church, and he's been called into ministry by Jesus himself. And he goes up on the roof to pray. This is one of those verses. I talk about this a lot. There's a lot of verses in the Bible that's just so easy to skip over. It's just a detail. It's just giving me context. But one of these verses, 
He went up on the roof to pray. The next verse says he was hungry. It was the middle of the day. While a meal was being prepared, he went up on the roof to pray. Vibrant disciples see prayer as something that can happen at any time, in any place. It's something that should be retreated into always. It doesn't matter if there's something negative going on in their lives or something great going on in their lives. They retreat into prayer always. Peter would have gone through three years of ministry with Jesus, seeing him constantly do this. Read through the Gospels again sometime and look for this detail. Watch Jesus retreat into prayer. By himself, he goes off to a solitary place to pray, or he feeds the 5,000, and then he goes and sends the disciples across the lake, but he goes up to pray. He does this a lot. I think Peter was merely mimicking his rabbi here. He retreated to pray. He went up on the roof to pray. Vibrant disciples pray. Uh, Look, this is, if I'm just going to be real honest, this is probably the spiritual discipline that I'm the worst at. I think it's just part of my personality. I'm not always the best at expressing myself. I've had to get better at it in the past few years, but it's just like I have a hard time expressing my emotions and like getting that out of my mouth. And it it translates into my relationship with God too. Just not as good at prayer as I should be, but vibrant disciples pray. You can't get around that in the word. They pray for a reason. They pray for many reasons. But I think... In this context, anyway, the main reason is the Holy Spirit is the one that makes us vibrant. We're not meant to do that on our own. We renew our vibrancy by tapping into who he is. There are, even as a pastor, there are days when I I come into church feeling like, God, I, I need a sermon today. I don't want to deliver one, right? Like, I, I, I'm the one that needs one today. Why, why do I have to be up, right? Like, I, I feel like I'm not vibrant right now. I'm, this week has beat me up too. Can I just be real honest with you? Vibrant disciples pray. In those moments, it can take five minutes, but I retreat. Retreat to a solitary place. Tap into the Holy Spirit. Close my eyes, shut out the world, and just focus on who he is. He reminds me every time, encourages me every time, challenges me a lot of times. The Holy Spirit will meet us when we pray. He just does. He is in. There's a verse in Psalms, I believe, that says God inhabits the worship and the prayers of his people. He inhabits them. He lives in them. He is there with you when you pray. The Holy Spirit met Peter up on that roof and he meets me when I hide in the kitchen for five minutes and pray. (laughs) He just does. Peter was up on that roof to pray. He was faithful in prayer. Vibrant disciples are single-minded. Single-minded. There's nothing else we'd rather be doing. No one else we'd rather talk to than God. Jesus is everything. He's the air we breathe, the reason for living. He's the life raft we hold on to in bad times and the one we praise in good times. Single-minded. Being single-minded means saying yes to God, but no to a whole lot of other things. Sometimes those things are good things. 
right? But other things, nonetheless. Have you ever thought about that? Saying yes to one thing means saying no to something else. Right? When I uh, take a meeting in the evening, for example, I'm saying yes to the meeting, but no to spending the night with my family that night, right? When we say yes to one thing, we're saying no to other things inadvertently. This is where I think some Christians get hung up. We lose our vibrancy because in the beginning, it's, we're single-minded. It's easy to be single-minded. We're all about Jesus. It's everything. It's, it takes over our world. But somewhere along the way, we have to say no so that we can say yes to other things. We, we allow things to crowd in. Vibrant disciples stay single-minded. Saying yes to one thing means saying no to another. Saying yes to selfishness and sin is saying no to God's way of doing things. Right? Saying no to his provision, protection, his abundance. Saying yes unlocks all of those things. Vibrant disciples talk to God first, foremost, and before all others. They're single-minded. Peter went up to pray in the middle of the day, not because he knew what was coming, because I doubt he did. He didn't know Cornelius in another town had a dream to come and send people to him. But he didn't know any of this context yet. He went up in the day just because he was vibrant. He was single-minded. It was his lifestyle of following Jesus. His lifestyle of ministry, his lifestyle of being the rock of the church that required it. We have to be people of prayer before the challenges come. Not after. Oh, both. After two. But not just after. Some people only retreat to prayer when something's bad. When the world blows up, everything goes to heck in your life. Finances, the, the kids, something, a health issue, something goes bad. Then you retreat to prayer. No. Vibrant disciples always pray. For, during, after. It's a, it's a lifestyle of prayer. Peter was vibrant and the Holy Spirit met him there, not just to encourage him, but also to challenge him. And I think this is another huge part of staying vibrant, but let's keep reading. Acts 10, verse 10, we see Peter sort of fall into a trance while he's praying and he saw the sky open. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Kind of an odd thing for God to say. At least in our context, we're like, what is going on here? But remember, the Jews stayed clean. And staying clean meant following God's laws. And God's laws even had to do with what they ate, what they put in their bodies. So Peter says, no, Lord, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Don't call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. Vibrant disciples pray, and when we do, the Holy Spirit will challenge us. The Holy Spirit will challenge us. I think a lot of times 
we focused on the Holy Spirit encouraging us, comforting us, right? Lifting us up, building us up, empowering us. But another main job of the Holy Spirit is to convict us and to challenge us. This keeps us vibrant. The Holy Spirit will challenge us to be bold. A lot of things, but to be bold first. I've heard a lot of people question whether the baptism in the Holy Spirit was for them or not. Right? We're, we're scared. We're skeptical. We're just unsure about the whole thing. It makes this kind of uneasy. And, and I think that's because there's a lot of misconception out there. And I'm not bashing anyone here, certainly, but I think there's a lot of misconception out there because it's very hard to explain in natural words. It's a supernatural experience, and it's it's very hard to articulate. And I heard somebody lately, um, get, she actually got baptized in the Holy Spirit in her own home. In the middle of the night, she had been praying for it for weeks and just woke up, started praying, and, and it happened for her. And she said afterward to me, she was like, I get why it's so hard to explain now. I get why nobody can really, like, tell me what it is because it's just so hard to explain. It's a supernatural experience, not a natural experience. And I think there's a lot of misconception out there because of that. Also because a lot of preachers or people in the past have pushed things on us, made us feel less than maybe for not being able to speak in tongues, for example, or made their gifts seem like the only way. The Holy Spirit is also vibrant and dynamic and fun and single-minded, but he, he does, he's not pushy. I've heard it said before, and this is weird, but I've heard a lot of preachers describe it as the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. <laughs> he's not going to push things on you that you don't want or you're not ready for. Right? And so we, as in the Assemblies of God, our denomination, not just Freedom Valley, we consider speaking in tongues to be the first, the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the initial physical evidence of the baptism. That just means it's the first thing that we can see. It's the first thing that we can prove. For example, I've never seen a healing happen from someone who doesn't speak in tongues. I'm Maybe it's happened. I've never seen it happen. Um, I can't think of one time, right? But praying in tongues is the first physical evidence that tends to happen today. And it's the first thing that we see in the world around us as well. You can read Acts 2, 10, and 19 if you have questions about that. It's the first thing we see in the Word happening. Baptism of the Holy Spirit falls. There is this beautiful moment. There's people speaking in tongues. But just because it's the only evidence we have, or it's the first evidence we have, it doesn't mean it's the only thing that happens. We get hung up on this sometimes. The main thing that the Holy Spirit does is it makes you sure. At least this has been my experience, and in a lot of people I know. It makes you sure. You know that you know that you know that it's real. It empowers you not to second-guess yourself. You know that you know. He makes you sure. Not of everything. I'm, I'm not saying I never doubt myself anymore or, or I've never, you know, doubted my faith anymore. Can This is like, I feel like I've said this a lot already, but can I just be real with you all today? Pastors sometimes have doubts too. It's okay. God can work with doubts as long as we're honest about them. Uh, the doubts now mostly circle around, is this worth it? <laughs> Or can I do this? Am I up to the challenge? 
But I doubt too. But the Holy Spirit helps me not to doubt God. It's real. No doubt about that in my mind anymore because I've felt it. I've experienced it. I've seen people healed. uh, The praying in tongues is so real with him. He makes you sure. The main thing that he does deep in your soul, that in a place nothing else can reach, you're sure. The Holy Spirit reaches down and into that place. <sighs> nothing else touches the magnitude of what the Holy Spirit does in hearts and minds. He is real. And when I really question that in my heart, I have no doubts, honestly. If I'm honestly sitting there saying, are you real, God? I, I can't possibly say you're not because I've... I feel you now. I know you're with me now. And you're smiling on me now. Speaking through me now. The the main thing he does is makes you sure and therefore you are bold. It comes from a real place. When you're 100% convinced about something, absolutely convinced about something, it changes the way that you behave. Like if we really believe that the word of God is the words of God, we're going to read it. We're going to. If we really believe that he heals, we're going to pray for healing boldly. If we really believe it, it changes the way that we behave. And Peter here, while praying, got a message from the Holy Spirit that he could not ignore. Sort of contradicted everything he thought he knew prior to Jesus coming about his own faith. But he was sure. So he had to change. The Holy Spirit told him. So he had to change. And watch what he does here. Acts 10, verse 21 says, So Peter went down and said, I am the man you are looking for. Why have you come? They said, We were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. You can imagine Peter in his natural mind is like, "Mm mm-hmm, an angel, huh? From a Roman, right? (laughs) Right? This is what he probably wanted to think. Or 10 minutes earlier, before he had this vision on the rooftop while praying, he might have been thinking. He might have even said it. But instead, Peter invites the men to stay for the night. The next day, he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. This is something Peter never would have done if not for the Holy Spirit telling him to. He wouldn't have done it. A good Jew would not have done this in Peter's day, right? At the time, they believed Jesus came only for the Jews. The way is what Christianity was called in its very, very early days, right? It was for Jews. It never crossed their minds that it could be for Gentiles too. Not until this particular moment in history. Never crossed their mind. This was the first. The Holy Spirit will not only challenge us to be bold, but will also challenge us to take the gospel outside of our comfort zones. Sometimes far outside. This is what vibrant disciples do, though. Vibrant disciples are always challenging themselves. The the Holy Spirit does this. We can't say no to the whole... Well, we can say no to the Holy Spirit, right? We are completely in control. I don't mean to say that. Some people, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we get nervous because it's almost like 
sounds like possession or something. Like I've had many of these conversations around like home group circles, right? Where people can be real and open. Like it's, it's scary. It sounds like you're possessed. Or, no, it's not like that. The Holy Spirit, when he empowers you, you are in complete control. The Bible actually says the spirit is subject to the prophet or in another version, 1 Corinthians 14, 32 says, remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. So you can wait your turn. It's not like he comes out of you, right? And you're out of control. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. There's no disorder in God's world. He has ordered it appropriately. He is a God of order. He's a God of planning. He is a God that can wait turns, (laughs) right? If somebody's not behaving in that way, it might not be a spirit from God. In fact, that's one of the ways you can sort of tell. There's lots of scriptures about false prophecy in the Bible for a reason, to help arm you against it. So you can say no to the Holy Spirit. I don't mean to say that. You can control what he does through you. However, the Holy Spirit will also always be challenging you to go outside of your comfort zone to serve him. He's always going to be challenging you. Peter never would have darkened the door of a Gentile's house on his own. He wouldn't have thought it was possible that a Roman soldier's family would have been able to receive Jesus, much less the Holy Spirit. Wasn't possible, according to what he thought he knew. But the Holy Spirit will call us to unusual places, and vibrant disciples are just happy to be there. Happy to be along for the ride. In my own life and ministry, I have been challenged so many times. If I had a nickel, <laughs> be a very rich woman. Sometimes it feels almost daily, multiple times a day. Someone will ask a question I don't know the answer to. But as a pastor, I probably should. So I grow through it. Right? The Holy Spirit gives me the words, and it's amazing. I can tell they're the right words coming out of my mouth, even though I didn't know them before. The Holy Spirit does that. Sometimes I'll have to confront something that's super uncomfortable. And in the natural, I would just rather ignore it. I hope it works itself out, right? In the natural, I'm a shove things under the rug kind of person. Keep the peace. I like peace. I don't like confrontation. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit has so gently and so kindly stretched my comfort zone there. Uh, preaching was something so far out of my comfort zone. Years, six short years ago now. I, I never saw this possible. In fact, I said no to God the first time it dawned on me that the Holy Spirit was nudging me in this direction. Just like Peter. But Lord, uh-uh. big fat nope. Not doing that. <laughs> Actually, found myself, uh, I was driving. It was a very long drive. The first time I remember the Holy Spirit pushing me in this direction, and I, uh, everybody else was asleep in the van. I think we were driving back from a conference. It was a long drive. And I was preaching in my head. I could picture myself preaching to a room full of people, and I went, God, no. No. Not, (laughs) no, no. But the Holy Spirit is kind patient. He's gentle with me when I'm fragile. He encourages me when I'm afraid I'm going to mess it all up. Comforts me when I'm heartbroken, which is often in this role. He builds me up when I'm broken. He guides me when I'm unsure, but he always challenges me. 
even through all of that. While encouraging me, he challenges me. (laughs) While comforting me, he challenges me. I'm never coddled or spoiled in God's presence. There is so much love, but there's truth too. The truth is always there. God is not an enabler. He's not going to enable sinful or, or wrong behaviors in you. He's going to love you where you're at, but call you out of it at the same time. The Holy Spirit will challenge you. In fact, I'm often asked, how do I know if this is, if this is God or not? What I'm hearing, how do I know if the answer I'm getting is from God or not? And, and unfortunately, I always say, there's really only two ways to tell. Does it line up with the word of God? First and foremost, he's not going to call you to do something that doesn't, right? Something sinful or selfish, probably not God. You can rule those out. Does it line up with the word? Then secondly, did it work? People hate that answer because that means they have to do it. (laughs) have to try whatever it is, God. They feel like maybe God is calling them to, and it's challenging. And that's the, the part they hate about it is usually the thing that they're questioning is something they do not want to do because they're scared. God's calling you to something bigger, and it's scary. The next thing to do is just to try it. Because the way you can test the prophet, this is another way to test the false prophets or see if prophets are real or not, is to see if it worked, if what they said happened. The Bible is incredibly practical with things like that. The Holy Spirit will challenge you. He will call you up into more of what he has for you. Which brings me to our next portion of this passage, Acts 10, verse 25. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now, tell me why you sent for me. Cornelius replied, four days ago, I was praying in my house about the same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Verse 34, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel. There is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Peter never would have done this without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will challenge us to be bold, will challenge us to to step up, and he will challenge us into a life worship, not a Sunday-only worship. One of, ever since our vision at, at Freedom Valley has been to be a vibrant, passionate, selfless church, I've been asking God, what is vibrancy? What does that mean to you? What should it mean to me? And he's given me pieces of that over the years. This life worship concept has always been a part of it. It's not Sunday only. Sunday is not enough. 
Sunday is not what God has called us to only. Sunday is necessary. It is important. It is vital to who you are, but it is not enough. It's a life worship. The Holy Spirit will challenge you to. Peter had to lay down his own wants, needs, desires, plans for that week, and just go. He had to lay it all down. He had to come up with a tailored message to that group of people on the spot. The Holy Spirit challenged him to. He had to lay down his own prejudices against the Romans, against soldiers of the Roman army, his own judgments. He had to lay down his own preconceived notions of what the family of a Roman soldier might be. He had to listen. He had to learn. He had to keep an open mind when it comes to people. It's about laying down our lives for the gospel. This life worship concept is laying down our lives for the gospel, which means laying down your lives for people to know the gospel. Your full calling in life does not apply only to Sunday. God wants to use you, bless you, speak to you and hear from you every day of the week, not just on Sunday. And the Holy Spirit can fall on a bunch of Romans on a a weekday, the same as it can fall on a Sunday morning, if we're willing to be challenged by him. Vibrant disciples are willing to be challenged. Acts 10, verse 44, to finish up the story, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, something that had never happened to Gentiles before this. Afterward, Cornelius asked him, to stay with them for several days. The Holy Spirit will also challenge anything that gets in the way. In this case, prejudice was getting in the way. Some preconceived ideas of who can and who cannot follow Jesus was getting in the way. Sunday-only worship wants to draw lines and keep people out. Sunday-only worship is exclusive. The gospel is all-inclusive. Vibrant disciples are single-minded in their active, fun, bold, dynamic life worship of God. Vibrancy for me is a lot like passion, but to me it's also about not taking things so seriously that you forget who God is. Christians often want to put God in boxes so they can understand it better. He's either this or he's that. It's one way or another, but so often God is this and that. He's all of it. He's both in this case. He is both the God of the Jews and the God of the Gentiles. It doesn't have to be one way or another. Peter could have taken things so seriously here the law so seriously that he missed out on the Gentiles knowing Jesus and therefore part of his own mission and calling too. This is how denominations, churches, preachers, ministries, we we get off sometimes. This is how we become self-centered instead of God-centered. 
It happens all the time, unfortunately. We begin to put our roles and expectations over God's roles and expectations. We put us above him, us above people. We make it a me-centered church about my wants and desires, what I want out of church, what I'm getting fed out of church, instead of a him-centered church. If we could just let the Holy Spirit challenge us, not stifle him, not shut him down, not ignore him, Just let him challenge us. He'll change us from the inside out and take us places we never thought we'd go. Never thought we'd go. Vibrant disciples allow the Holy Spirit to challenge them. We can also turn it off. We can make that voice be quieter just by not listening to it. We can turn it down in our minds. Place our own wants, needs, desires over it. And it gets quieter. We, we allow things in our lives to be messy, to not be single-minded, to not keep our focus on Jesus, allows other things to creep in and get louder than the voice of the Holy Spirit. Vibrant disciples allow the Holy Spirit to challenge them. I used that word challenge specifically throughout this message. It's one thing that really hit me in preparing this one. The Holy Spirit doesn't order. He doesn't control. He doesn't force you to do things you don't want to do. God gave us choice after all. But he does challenge. He'll challenge everything you thought you knew. Vibrant disciples, let him. Father, help us today humble ourselves before you. Help us humble ourselves before you. Help us lay down our own selfishness, our own opinions, our own judgments, the things that we cling to so desperately. Help us just listen to your voice. Put your voice above all of the other voices to quiet down our own selfishness. To turn you up in our minds. Convict us. Challenge us. Set us right. We're willing, eager to hear it. Let us be obedient in your presence. With heads bowed and eyes still closed, I want to offer you an opportunity today. That Jesus came to renew our vibrancy, that the, the human race had become so dull in our selfishness, so bound by sin, we couldn't even see it. And how deep the darkness goes, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, when we think it's light, but it's darkness. We get bound by addiction. We get bound by selfishness. We get bound by making selfish choices. We get bound by all kinds of things. Jealousy, fear, doubt, shame, guilt. Jesus came to set us free from all of that. 
to make us free and bold and fun, single-minded. My question for you today is only, would you say yes to that? Would you say yes to Jesus today? We call it saying, I'm in around here. I'm in to following Jesus. I'm in to letting go of all of the things that I think that I need. I'm into letting go of the, the shame and the fear and the doubt and the pain. I'm into a fresh start. Letting Jesus be the Lord, the boss of my life instead of me. That's you today, and, and you want to say, I'm in. You want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time. Would you just raise your hand if you're here in the room? I want to say yes to Jesus. If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen. If you're here in the room and your hand is raised, just leave it up for just a moment while an usher comes to, to give you a small card. Just helps you with that decision a little bit. If you're watching online, text the number on the screen. We'd love to help you with that decision as well. Anyone else today? I want to say yes to Jesus. For the rest of you, I'm going to challenge you today to say a prayer along with me out loud, and it's a bold prayer. It's a prayer asking the Holy Spirit to challenge you. Asking him to, to challenge your judgments, judgments, your opinions, your comfort zone. Asking him to call you higher, deeper into relationship with Jesus. Asking him to make you more effective for him. That's what the Holy Spirit does, after all. Makes us effective with the gospel. And we sing a song sometimes about the fire, that God is an all-consuming fire. It's because he burns away everything that isn't of him, and he challenges you, refines you, calls you into deeper relationship with him, calls you into being more like him, radiating his presence, the fruit of the Spirit, love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. It's these things that come out of us when the Holy Spirit is in us. So I'm going to ask you today, would you pray out loud a bold prayer with me? Repeat after me if you're willing. Holy Spirit, challenge me. Challenge my judgments. Challenge my opinions. Challenge my comfort zone. Call me higher and deeper to be more effective for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.